Have you ever heard the term infant mental health? Keep listening to learn how you, as a parent or caregiver of an infant, can positively shape and support a baby's early social and emotional skills so they are able to build long-lasting connections in the future. You will not want to miss this episode if you are a parent or a member of the NICU care team. It is one of my most favorite episodes we've done so far. Hi there and welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud preemie mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are, and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing, and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different, and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's physician for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge My opinions do not represent that of my employers. On today's podcast, my guest, Katie Ross, and I discussed the definition of infant mental health and how it applies specifically to our patients in the NICU. Katie is a neonatal occupational therapist and is very passionate about positively fostering the development of our specialized NICU population from the earliest stages of life. We discuss infant mental health, what it actually means, and how it applies to our high-risk NICU population. We as NICU caregivers, in close collaboration with the parents, have the ability to positively change the trajectory of the developmental outcomes for our NICU babies. Katie and I are both very passionate about parental involvement and engagement. Together, we discuss tips and offer words of encouragement for parents and NICU care team members on ways we can support, educate, and empower NICU parents to become actively engaged in their infants' daily cares, including skin-to-skin care. The theme we focus on is simplicity. Plain and simple, parents of a NICU baby need to be involved. They are the therapy for their infant. Tune in to learn ways we can all work together to foster and encourage parental support and involvement. Studies have shown that parental engagement actually influences the neurobiology of the infant's brain and promotes physiological changes in the parents as well. What does that mean? It means with parental contact during skin-to-skin care, levels of oxytocin increase, which reduces stress and facilitates increased feelings of comfort and attachment. And it leads to positive physiological stability in both the baby and the parents. Isn't that amazing? So please do not underestimate your role as parents, even if your baby is in the NICU. Continue listening as we educate, guide, 
and empower you as parents to work through your grief, trauma, and fear so you can simply love on your baby. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Finn and Emma, where modern colors, fresh prints, and heirloom quality construction are abundant. All of their garments are made with GOTS certified organic cotton and non-toxic, eco-friendly dyes. The toys are either made with untreated hardwood or hand-knit with organic cotton yarn. Confidently dress your little one in Finn and Emma's Basics collection that features solid colored bodysuits and pants in timeless colors, great for mixing and matching. Or shop their graphics collection to celebrate being the new little brother or find that perfect tee for the new big sister, as well as for those special occasions when your little one is celebrating their first holiday. Finn and Emma also have rockers that are ergonomically designed to soothe your little one or check out the beautiful macrame swing that is handmade by artisans in India and will keep your little one entertained but also look beautiful in your home or yard. They also ensure that their garments and accessories are produced in fair trade settings that focus on social and economic independence for local people, women especially, working to provide for their families in a safe and fair environment. Shop with a company that puts safety and social responsibility on the forefront. Find all of Finn and Emma's products at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash Finn hyphen Emma. That's empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash F-I-N-N hyphen E-M-M-A or find the link in the show notes. This episode is sponsored by Beauty Counter. Did you know that the last time the United States passed a major law to regulate ingredients in the personal care products industry was in 1938? Sadly, that means that there is minimal up-to-date regulation in the personal care products industry to protect you and your family. Many personal care products sold on shelves in your local store and online may contain ingredients that could be harmful to you. Sadly, for me, I never really considered the danger of personal care products until I was pregnant, and I knew there were certain ingredients I should not use. It was then that I discovered Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter's mission is to get safer products into the hands of everyone. They developed a never list that omits over 1,800 harmful or questionable ingredients in their formulations, whereas the United States only omits 30 ingredients. With Beauty Counter's rigorous ingredient selection process, I know that the beauty counter makeup and personal care products I use for myself and my family are safe. Not only are the products safe, but very high performing. Find my personal favorites, the Countertime Collection, which helps me age gracefully, and the All Bright C Serum that will instantly leave your skin glowing and radiant at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash beauty counter. That's empoweringnicuparents.com dot com forward slash b e a u t y c o u n t e r or find the link in our show notes now back to the episode thank you all so much for joining us today i am joined by katie so katie tell us a little bit more about your family what you do for work and anything else that you'd like to share So yes, my name is Katie Ross, and I'm actually a neonatal occupational therapist, and I work in the NICU setting. I work in a 
very large, 100 plus bed, level four NICU. So we take care of the sickest and most fragile babies. And I absolutely love what I do. I am also a mom myself and I have two little boys. I'm a two-year-old and a two-month-old who did have his own little NICU stay as well. Married to a physical therapist, so that keeps it fun when we're in similar fields and just surrounded by babies, really, right now. <laughs> I love it. Yes, it is interesting, as I, I'm sure even for a short stint, if your son was in the NICU, just how that changes your perspective on things. And yes, very interesting that your husband is in the field as well. So tell us a little bit more about how long you've been a therapist and then what made you decide to go into that field. So I've been in the NICU for a little over six years, and I always knew I wanted to be an occupational therapist. Like I was definitely that person that was like in high school, my mom was like, okay, we need to pick out what you want to be when you grow up. And OT just kind of fit. I knew I wanted to do something medical, but I wanted to do something that let me have a family and be flexible as well. And then just throughout my undergrad career, I just knew I wanted to do pediatrics. And then I learned about the fact that you could do this with with babies only, really, in the NICU space. And so I loved babies. That's honestly where it started and then just grew from there. And I just picked a graduate school in St. Louis that had specialized training in the NICU setting specifically because it's just not really a, a setting you get a lot of experience in as an occupational therapist. You know, it's not the traditional setting that a lot of people will work. So I went there and just honestly just fell in love with the intensity of the medical space, but then also the vulnerability of this amazing families and the resiliency of babies and getting to foster development really from like the earliest stage of life possible. So I've always kind of wanted to do this and I've, I just, I love it as much as I hoped I would. <laughs> That's amazing to hear. Yes. I kind of was the same way. I knew even going to nursing, I wanted to just be with the babies. And, and then when I decided to go back for my master's degree, I knew I wanted to become a nurse practitioner, but I knew I would only probably succeed in the neonatal world because it was something that I was just so super passionate about. How long have you been a NICU occupational therapist? So over six years, a little over six years, I think now. So I graduated and went straight into the NICU which is not the super common route to take. Typically, you'll work in, you know, general pediatrics, outpatient settings first. But I was just like, I, this is what I have to do. I want to do this so bad. Like I live, eat and breathe NICU therapy. So got a job right out at a, the NICU I work at now. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So I've previously heard you mention the importance of infant mental health. Can you just explain to our listeners exactly what that means and how we as caregivers and for those that are parents in the NICU, how do we have an impact on that? Yeah, so infant mental health is kind of this like abstract almost concept that we think about. You know, we hear all about like adult mental health and especially with the pandemic, you know, there's been this bringing to light moment for just the mental health community and how we can support one another. But infant mental health has been kind of like clumped together with early childhood, young childhood mental health. And in my setting, I'm really passionate about it purely because I get to focus on it related to the NICU space and the NICU environment, which is taking things like a step further almost and bringing awareness that we are in fact supporting the mental health needs of our babies. And 
really infant mental health is just the ability of a baby to regulate and adapt to their environment and supporting those early social and emotional skills and helping them have the foundation they need to build connection with other people and have like these long lasting relationships. And in the NICU, it's it's kind of a tough thing once you learn about it because you look at these babies and you look at the environment and you notice that they're surrounded and almost bombarded by all of this negative, inconsistent input, sometimes painful input that is so essential. You know, we have to do these things. I mean, you know that you're on, you know, you're on the medical side and we, it's so important, but my job and the way that I like to think about it and why I'm here and love what I do is thinking about, okay, we have to do some of these things, but is there a way we can do them differently that might help change the brain's architecture, change the neuronal connections for these babies so that we're supporting their ability to connect and feel trust with their caregivers in a time when nothing's consistent and you know we're focused on a lot of very important physiologic things. Right. And you brought up so many great points. I think the concept is so interesting, just even for a term newborn that has Mm -hmm. no time in the NICU and how their environment and their parents and those that are around them and how they impact that. And then you take either our teeny tiny, very low, extremely low birth weight infants in the NICU, or even those that are term, but perhaps, you know, are there for other reasons or HIE or things like that. And how, as much as we try to control the negative components that impact them, we do our best on the medical side. And, but there's so much that goes into that. And I know how strongly it influences their outcomes. And so I think it cannot be overstated just how important it is that, the things that we do, especially early on, how much that changes the trajectory of their development in the future, you know, at that moment and then in the future for years and years to come. Yeah. And I love that you're talking about like just babies who go home right after delivery, you know, and because again, it's, it's not just babies who are extremely premature and spend time in the NICU and get IVs and sticks and all that. When we look at this concept of like adverse childhood experiences and we look at toxic stress. That's these big like buzzwords when we think about how we can almost predict the mental health and psychosocial outcomes of babies and adults down the road. It's somewhat up of 60 to 70% of people have at least one adverse childhood experience, which sets the stage for later mental health conditions and concerns. So it's definitely not something that's niched down to the NICU. It's just the NICU is so layered with trauma and different dynamics and different caregivers and things like that. So it really just provides this really amazing, that's, you know, my passion, my specialty is thinking, how do we layer in the positive? How do we layer in things that are going to mediate and buffer these negative experiences? And I mean, you're a NICU mama and work there. So you're layered into both sides of the coin. Um, Because I think it's really, again, it's hard to hear when we think about like our children and think about, oh my gosh, like, is this going to impact or increase their risk for some of these scary things down the road, things we don't want our babies to be experiencing in any way, shape, or form, which is what I love, though, because you mentioned the parent and the caregiver. 
And we know that the brain is most pliable in that first three years. Like we know that it prunes and takes away things it's not using and adds in things it is using. And that's where I would love to empower parents because we can be afraid of what's, you know, happening in the early life of our child, but we can't control so much of it when we're in the NICU. But when you're there and you're responding to your baby and you're holding your baby and you're feeding them when they want to be fed and you're loving on them and releasing oxytocin, like that changes the brain structure. So it's like there's actual power. It's not just frou-frou stuff. (laughs) I'm like, this is not just like silly stuff. This is like biological. This changes the way the body works for your baby that can then change what happens down the road. And I think that that is brings a lot of hope and a lot of peace for parents too because they're like, oh, I can love my baby. <laughs> right, right. I can do that piece. Oh, that's all you're asking? Okay. I'm like, yeah, it's actually really powerful. <laughs> right. Yes, there's so many things that you said. One is just the maternal side. One of my most recent podcasts I did about reading or singing to your baby and just how important that is, but specifically how they touched several articles that I read were all about how the baby responds to the mother's voice in particular because it knows it so well. And obviously it responds incredibly positive to the mother's voice and Again, the the father is significant other as well, but it's the mother's voice that they hear all the time, how many of her months they spent in utero. And that just coupled with, I heard the other day again, and somebody was talking about small baby units and they, it was just a very simple statement, but it just said the parents are the therapy. And it's like, oh my goodness, it actually like brought tears to my eyes because I was just like, you are so right. Like the parents are exactly what that baby needs. But in the consistency of their parents being there and being involved is exactly what the babies need. But I just think, unfortunately, parents underestimate their role because mm-hmm. they see us as NICU caregivers caring for their baby so effortlessly. And they feel so incompetent that they retreat, but yet they need to step up. And we as NICU care team members need to encourage them to step up because it's the consistency of those parents that are going to help the baby in the long run. And it's something so simple, but yet it isn't done enough. And I think, again, parents need daily, if not hourly, reminders of their role and the importance of their role in the NICU every single day. Absolutely. And I I think you said, so you said, you know, it's simple. And I think the answer is simple, but you're right making it happen is a lot more difficult. And one thing, you know, I've learned, and then me after being in the NICU myself, even though I had a term baby in the NICU, I still experienced that baby being whisked away from me right after birth, seeing my baby who is like totally purple and totally gray and, and not crying and not breathing and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was a little shocked at who I became as the NICU parent on the other side, because I, was pretty standoffish. And this is coming from someone whose literal job is to teach parents how to be involved with their babies. And I'm I'm like sitting on the couch while my nurse does my baby's care. And I didn't even like know it was happening in the moment. Um, You know, it wasn't until after that I was like, oh my gosh, one, I don't really have any photos of me with my kid. Number two, 
oh my gosh, like Jennifer Fett, you know, because I knew them all because I worked there. Right. I'm like, oh my gosh, she did like, she fed him all of his bottles or, all, you know, and I think before that experience, it's easy for us when we get into the norm of working in the NICU space, it becomes, it, it feels so normal to us. Sometimes we forget the reality of what it means for families to be there. And everyone's reaction is going to be so different. And every reaction is okay, too, is what I'm learning. Because I'm like, man, if they didn't know me, they might think that, like, I didn't care to be involved in his care. Right. When in reality, it's like, oh, my gosh, I totally did. I just was stuck in this, like, weird in-between where I was like, I don't really feel like a mom right now. Like, I'm hurting from delivering. I'm tired. And I'm like... Am I the OT here? Because again, I'd been in that same room that exact day teaching with another family. So I was just confused. And that really, again, I'm not back to, I'm not back to work yet. I go back here in in a week or so, but there's going to be this like even greater amount of empathy for, you know, how do we really facilitate parent involvement at the bedside in a way that matches how they're coping after the birth of their baby? And something that I like to do just if there's providers listening, it's just inviting them to the bedside (laughs) because I've seen, it sounds so, like you said, so simple, but in reality, like I needed to be invited and I am a developmental expert in this and I have no nerves about all the lines and tubes and picking up my baby. Like that wasn't what made me, I just was stunned almost. Right. Um, But when she's like, come on over here, we're going to do a diaper change. Then I was like, oh, cue. Like, like, this <laughs> is me. like, this is, it's my turn. Like that, that, that little baby's mine. And I, sometimes I'll walk through like the unit and I see, you know, parents sitting on the bed or in the chair and the nurse is doing all the care. And sometimes parents, you know, that's where they would choose to be. But a lot of times I've noticed that it's like, oh, I, I didn't realize I could be standing up there with you. Because I'll do a developmental evaluation and they'll be sitting there and they'll either ask, which I love. They're like, can I come like stand by you? And I'm like, absolutely. 100%. They're your baby. So now I've learned to say, hey, you can come up here and stand with me. Like, let me show you what I'm seeing. And they're like, oh, really? I didn't want to like intrude or be in your space. They're so darn polite. Right. (laughs) Like, I'm invading on your space with your baby. (laughs) But I think that's just it, is that they actually feel like they're being intrusive or that they are guests in our house or in our NICU. And I think just for the nurse or the therapist or the practitioner or the neonatologist to say, come up here with me and let's talk about your baby. I think it's interesting how you brought up just there's so much trauma. And I think I was personally fearful of judgment. It's funny how I think we're afraid as parents that we're worried about being judged. And me as an NP, I was worried about being judged. And I was worried that, you know, I'm sure they're worried that I was judging them in general Mm -hmm. for the parents judging them. So it's like, everybody's doing this, but like, let's just talk openly about it and say, and invite the parents up and so back to simplicity of this, the parent's baby, and if they're not, hopefully they're ready to step in and help and be guided in how to care for their baby. But if not, then it's our job to educate them and guide them so that they are comfortable doing that. Yeah. We talked a little bit about 
just that, but what are some other common parental fears that you find exist that may inhibit parental involvement when their baby is in the NICU? So I really think the biggest one that I get feedback on clinically, but then also when we look at research related to barriers to parent involvement in the NICU is that aspect of the physical appearance of your baby. And I mean, I have chills because I, I mean, I can, I can imagine it and I can feel it. If it's a premature baby, you know, you've never seen a baby that small. Number one. Number two, you might have been nervous to change the diaper of your newborn baby before you were even at risk for premature labor or went into premature labor without even having a warning sign. So I think seeing the, the medical intensity of it and feeling that disconnect is probably one of the, the biggest barriers that the nerves of hurting or not knowing what to do or not knowing what you even can do. And then again, like you said, that role shift that's happening where it's like, well, I'm not ta- I'm that's not my job. You know, like the nurse is taking care of the baby and breaking down that barrier to like, oh my gosh, I, I can do these things even with your baby when they're 23 weeks, even when your baby's 24 weeks old, or even when your baby is, you know, term and intubated and on a ventilator, whatever it may be. And I think that that fear of the physical appearance is like very natural. <laughs> I mean, that's a very natural thing to feel. And I think as clinicians in the NICU, we forget because again, we only look at sick babies. You know, I only see sick infants with nasal cannula. My husband is funny because he's a PT, but he works in a home health with adults and older adults. And we'll be looking at pictures for blooming littles or whatever it may be. And he can't look at a photo of a baby with a nasal cannula in their nose or an NG tube. And to me, I'm just like, that's a healthy baby. <laughs> like. You're like, that's a girl feeder. <laughs> right. That's literally, that's nothing. He's like, it just, it makes me so sad. And it humbles me a little bit because again, I'm so conditioned almost to seeing babies with all kinds of lines and tubes, even babies who have a ton. I tell parents that comes from the knowledge of knowing what each thing is and knowing about what's going to impact medical stability. I like to call them high-risk and low-risk lines. So that's kind of my tip for parents whenever they have this parental fear of getting involved because obviously I want you to, to be involved as quickly as possible for yourself and for your baby. But really learning and asking questions about like, what is that? Like there's no stupid questions. I think sometimes it's like, I don't want to ask because I don't know. Not only what that is, but what is that for? Because... I tell them that there's high risk lines and low risk lines and there's lines, high risk are those, you know, we really don't want those to come out. We like really don't want the central line to come out. Even IVs, we don't want to come out, but you know, those stickers, we're good. Those can pop off. You know, the temperature probe, I feel like gets parents so much because it pops off and then the warmer goes off and ding, ding, dings. And it sounds so intense when you don't know what it is. And I'm like, no, no, that's just this, that's this little tiny wire that just never stays put. It never stays where it's supposed to. And it's just your baby's temperature. So knowing when I point it out and I'm like, oh yeah, they're just on a, you know, a low flow nasal cannula. That's low risk. That can come off and on. We don't want it to rip off, obviously, but if it did, it would be okay. You know, these are cardiac lines, stickers that are just on your, the baby's chest. This is a pulse oximeter. It's just wrapped around your baby's foot. There's nothing here that when you interact with your baby is going to hurt them. And that's not true for every baby, obviously. 
you know, we definitely have lines that we have to be very cautious of and careful for. But I think when you break them down, there's usually, you know, one to three lines, I mean, depending on the baby, that are actually those really high-risk ones. And knowledge is, is power in getting over the, those fears of what you're seeing. I love that. I love just how you spoke about I'm big on parents being educated on what is around their baby, what is on their baby. And they don't obviously need to know the intensity of all of the things that we as providers and clinicians need Uh to know. But I love that you reference it as high risk or low risk because yes, even an NG tube, assuming it's not a surgical patient coming out is not really a big deal. It's pretty common, but yet, you know, that would probably make a parent panic a little bit. And so I talk so much about kangaroo care and asking to hold your baby. And, you know, I think that that's a huge fear of parents is that they are going to harm their infant Mm -hmm. or if they do kangaroo care, you know, sometimes, unfortunately it's crazy, but the ET tube does come out and it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. It's just circumstantial. So, and you know, I just don't want parents to be upset or to not want to hold again. But I think Mm -hmm. education, like you said, is so important because there are very serious lines and tubes that we don't want to disrupt, but there are also the majority of them are, yes, pretty benign if they do come off, but parents don't know that or understand that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so important because like you said, this is their child, you know, all of those moments of them first coming out and all that joy was disrupted. And then now they see them connected to all these things that they don't understand and just simple explanations and breaking it down, I think definitely helps. And then I believe in early involvement, the more that you can get them hands-on and assisting with and introducing mm-hmm. them to things, I think the the better it'll be in the long run as far as their ability to feel comfortable and caring for their own infant. Thank you so much for tuning in. Katie's knowledge and passion for our high-risk NICU population is so inspiring. We want parents to become knowledgeable and empowered. Remember, you as parents are the therapy for your baby. So please do not doubt your role or underestimate the importance of you being present and actively engaged while your baby is in the NICU. We completely acknowledge your fears, but want you to ask questions and feel empowered to step into your role. Parents, in collaboration with the NICU care team, have the ability to buffer the negative experiences common to the NICU environment. You can actually change the trajectory of your infant's developmental outcomes by being present, learning and responding to your infant's cues, and by giving them the love they need. On our next episode, Katie and I continue our discussion on why parental presence is so monumental to our NICU babies, and we continue to offer support and suggestions for both NICU parents and members of the NICU care team. As always, we ask that you please consider sharing our podcast with anyone who would gain some value from it. For an opportunity to win a copy of our NICU journal, our NICU roadmap, take a screenshot while listening and tag us at Empowering NICU Parents. For show notes, links mentioned in the episode, and Katie's contact information, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 26. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear, so make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye. Thank you.